I did not write down Frank Hall's name uh, to give to you, but Frank has been admitted, I believe it was Monday, into the hospital down in Asheville um, dealing with some measure of kidney failure. Um, thankfully, the tests have shown that Frank's LVAD is working fine. They thought it was an issue with the LVAD. It's not. They found no clots around his heart. Um, and so please continue praying for Brother Frank. Pray for Bev. Uh, these are hard days for them. And I appreciate David and Luann ministering to them uh, yesterday down in Asheville, actually. And I'm, I'm thankful that we have a church family that watches out for one another. Galatians 6 it's an interesting passage of scripture. Um, part of it says uh, every man ought to bear his own burden. And then within just a few words it says we ought to bear one another's burdens. Uh, that tells me just the plain and simple is there are some things that I just have to, I have to carry on my own. That God has designed that for me and that's what I need to trust him for. Then those are, there's those burdens where you can help me bear them. And I can help you bear yours. And, and I'm thankful for a church family that, that reaches out and does that. So if, I, if you don't have Frank and Bev on your uh, list, please add Brother Frank. And we'll let you know how he's doing and when, he's, uh, when he comes home. Let's go to Luke chapter number 5. We're going to look tonight at the first 11 verses. Most of our, st- most of our time will start at verse 5 and go down, but... We'll cover all, all 11 of them to begin. While you're turning there, let me ask you a question. If you've, have you ever done something that in your heart you really didn't want to do? Now, I'm not, talking about, I'm not talking about those times when you sin and you do that, but you didn't really want to do it. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about have you ever done something that needed to be done and you should, be, you should do it, but you didn't really want to do it. But you went ahead and did it anyway. Um, as a kid, I, 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 when I go out to work in the lawn now, sometimes I stop and think how different it is for me to go out and work in my lawn now than it was when I was a kid and my dad would send me out. I go out now, we, just had, we had to replace our mower. We had a mower that lasted us 22 years. Uh, I, I'm telling you, I hated selling that thing. It, it left my house Monday. I took a picture of it. They loaded it up in the back of the trailer. This couple did that bought it. I took a picture of it going down like, this is like an old friend of mine. Um, I've, had that, I've had that mower longer than I've had Heidi. You know, it's been around a while. Uh, there's no plastic on that thing. It's all metal. The hood's metal. And, uh, but, you know, had to move on. And I go out there now, and we've got this new mower, and, boy, it cuts so, and, and it rides so much better than that. But I'm mowing with, with a gas-powered riding mower, and I take my battery-powered weed eater out there, uh, we've got hedge trimmers, and I'm like, man, this is awesome. When I was a kid, and I'm not that old, um, compared to some of you, I'm, you're, you probably still think of me as a kid. But when I was a kid, Dad sent me out to do the lawn. We had, a, uh, we had one of those mowers with the rotating blades on it that show up in antique stores now. That was, that was my life. That thing weighed more than I did, and that's how we cut the grass. And, and when we had to trim the grass, you know how you have a block you got a block foundation going around your house, and the grass grow right up next to it. Well, you couldn't get you couldn't get near it with that kind of mower. We had those old grass shears. Remember those? I am so thankful for my weed eater. But those grass shears, they couldn't hardly cut water, you know. And I'm up there trying to cut grass with them. And um, Dad would say, we need to trim the grass around the house. I'm like, I do it because Dad told me to do it, but I didn't want to do it. That was something I was supposed to do, but I really didn't want to do it. 
Now, whether it's at home or it's at work, um, every one of us, at some point in our life, we've all done things that needed to be done, but we didn't necessarily want to do them. And that is the thrust of the story that takes place in the first 11 verses of Luke chapter 5. You got a guy who's going to do something. He didn't really want to do it. But it's the right thing to do, and he went ahead and did it. He went ahead and did it anyway. Look at verses 1 through 4 in Luke chapter 5. And it came to pass that as the people pressed upon him, of course, it's talking about Jesus, they pressed upon him to hear the word of God. He stood by the lake of Gennesaret and saw two ships standing by the lake, and, but the fishermen were gone out of them and were washing their nets. And he entered into one of the ships, which was Simon's, and prayed him that he would thrust out a little from the land. And he sat down, Jesus sat down and taught the people out of the ship. Now when he had left speaking, he said unto Simon, and you know this already, this is Simon Peter. He said to Simon, launch out into the deep and let your nets down for a draught. So Jesus is using Peter's boat as a floating platform Uh, He wanted to put a little distance between him and that crowd that had pressed on him, the Bible says, so they could hear the word of God. And when the church service was over and he's done teaching, he tells Peter, he says, go out into deeper water and let down your nets for a draught. And Peter's going to object. He says, Peter says in verse number five, Simon answering said unto him, Master, we have toiled all the night. And have taken nothing. Nevertheless, at thy word, I will let down the net. He objects to what Jesus tells him to do. They've been fishing the whole night. And they have caught absolutely nothing. Now here's, this is where I'm drawing from for you and me tonight. Simon Peter was told to do something he did not want to do. But because it was Jesus giving the command, Peter complied. He didn't want to do it, but the person giving him the command was the reason that he obeyed. I have been there. You have been there. I did not want to go out to our garage and get those grass shears and try to trim around our house at 35001 Lewis Street in Westland, Michigan with those dumb grass shears. I didn't want to do it, but because of the person giving me the command, I did it. And sometimes that's how we are in our Christian life. There are things God gives us to do that we don't want to do it, but we are wise if we will just go ahead and do it. Not do it with a bad attitude. Here's the difference in this. Peter doesn't have a bad attitude here. Would you, would you note that? There are times when he did, and there are times when you and I have bad attitudes, and we go ahead and do something, we do it with a bad attitude. We don't get credit for that obedience. You know what obedience is. We taught our children this three, three-part definition of obedience. You are to do what you're told. You are to do it when you're told. You're to do it with the right heart attitude. Now, Peter is going to do something he didn't really want to do, but I, if you read Peter's words, he doesn't have a bad attitude in his obedience. He's just wore out. He, he's just tired. But he did it because of who of who gave him the command. I wrote down it would be great for us to learn from Peter's choice here and develop this same mindset. It's the mindset that does what Jesus tells us to do regardless of how we feel about the assignment. 
You ever been prompted to do something after you got off work? You've worked all day or you've worked all night, whatever your shift might be. And then God prompts you to do something. It's going to, it's going to cost you about three or four hours when you're done. And it was a hard day at work. And you got into it with a customer or a supervisor or somebody. And you're coming home. You don't really feel like doing anything. You don't want to be around people. And God prompts you to do something. You're thinking, well, it's going to take me about three or four hours. I just don't feel like doing it, but I better do it. That's not a bad attitude. It's just you don't feel like doing it. But do what Peter did here and, and go with it. Go with it. Let's pray tonight and ask God to work in our hearts and teach us some important truths here. And then we'll get into the rest of these verses, all right? Father, please take your word. And this is one of those good examples when we should be following Peter. And I know he wasn't always uh, an example for us in what to do. Sometimes he was the example in what not to do. But here he does show me, Lord, that even though I may not feel like it sometimes or I may not want to or your instruction just doesn't make any sense, I should just go ahead and do it and trust that you are in control and you're doing the outcome for my good. So help us tonight to demonstrate what Peter did here in verse number 5 and have this nevertheless at thy word attitude. And Lord, may we always have a submissive spirit when it comes to you. We pray in your name. Amen. Let's look at three parts here tonight, uh, really from verse from verse 4 down. Uh, and let's start with a night of struggle. All right. First one is a night of struggle. Peter's response in verse number 5. Jesus says, launch out in the deep. Let down your nets for a catch, a draught. Peter's response in verse number five, Master, we have toiled all the night and have taken nothing. I think Peter and his partners, whoever he was working with, probably his brother Andrew, maybe even James and John, I think they were just, they'd worked all night and they were, they were exhausted. I believe they were physically tired. And emotionally, I think they could have been frustrated because they worked all night and they had nothing to show for it. They were ready to go home. They'd worked all night. It's the morning. Get the next ready for tonight's shift. Let's go home. I think you need to remember here that how many in here like to fish? All right. So you know where we're at. Remember this. They're not fishing for the reasons you and I fish. They're fishing for their livelihood. No fish, no pay. No fish, no eat. They've been fishing all night, and the Bible said they didn't catch anything. And they don't have today's modern technology. Um, I I remember one time I went out there, I went fishing a long time ago with Chris Kane. We're out there on Cherokee Lake. He took me out there to catch my first striper. And he had a a trolling motor on there, and... and, um, he was controlling that trolling motor with his wrist, with, with something on his wrist. I'd never seen anything like that. I've always seen the pedal thing, you know. You're trying to do this and do this with your foot, and Chris just working that trolling motor on his wristwatch. And you look at the, the depth finders and the fish finders that they have today. It's absolutely amazing. But go up to the grade level of the, the commercial fishermen that are out in the bay or out in the gulf or on the ocean, And all of the technology on these boats, Peter had none of that. They had two oars or a small sail. They had no depth finder. They had no fish finder. They had no radar to watch on weather.com to see if a sea was going to kick up on the Sea of Galilee. They had none of that. But they fished for their livelihood. 
when they went fishing, it was pure work. Now, if you say, if you say somebody, hey, you want to go fishing tonight? If they've got time, in this crowd, if we say, hey, you want to go fishing tonight? We're going to jump on that, right? That's, it's, it's fun. It's relaxing. Even if you don't catch fish, it's just fun to go out. But you say it to these guys who do it every day. They're like, no, I don't want to go fishing. <laughs> Why would I do that? That's like going back to work. It's like asking you to go sit at a desk. Hey, you want to go sit at a desk for a couple hours? No. He says we toiled all night. Do you see that little word, toiled? That means to work to the point of fatigue. They were wrung out. Master, we have toiled all night and have taken nothing. These were professional fishermen. They knew how to fish. They knew when to fish. They knew where to fish on this lake. For as far as we can tell, Peter, Andrew, James, and John had grown up on this lake. They know this lake better than some of you know Cherokee Lake. Now, you may fish exclusively at Cherokee Lake, but you don't fish that lake for your livelihood like they did. You may know Douglas Lake really well, but you're not fishing Douglas Lake because your life depends on it. I guarantee you, they knew, they knew uh, well, it's called here the Lake of Gennesaret, but you and I call it, what, what do we usually call it? Sea of Galilee. It's really, it's really a lake, but they call it the Sea of Galilee uh, at times. And Jesus says, let's go out and go fishing. Let's go back out and go fishing. Um, I think they were tired. I think they were frustrated. Imagine not fishing, but imagine going to your job, whatever your job is. Imagine going to your job and your entire day, nothing goes right. Nothing goes right. Everything you address goes wrong. That's how They only had one thing to do. What did they have to do for their job? They just got to catch fish. And the Bible says, or, or Peter says in the Bible, he says, we did this all night and we didn't catch anything. And now the sun's starting to climb in the sky and Jesus said, let's go out. It's not even the right time to go fishing for the method that they use. It's the wrong time of the day to go. Master, we have toiled all night and have caught Nothing. Jesus, by now, the fish are all, they've left the waters where we fish. They're going out there in the deep water. And what is it that Jesus says to them? Let's go where the fish are. Let's launch out into the deep, he says. They had caught nothing. You know what? The the languages that the Bible was written in, are, are they're interesting. They're very picturesque. That word nothing emphasizes not even one. Like if, have you ever had a, a day at work and you come home and your husband or wife says to you, um, hey, how'd you do today? Well, I didn't get anything done. I didn't get, I, I got nothing done today. Well, that's not probably, literally, that's probably not true. You probably did get something done. You just don't feel like you got as much done as you want to. I didn't get, I didn't get anything done today. But the Bible's word here is very specific. They didn't catch a minnow. Not even one. Master, we have toiled all night and have caught nothing. And I want you to know this. Did I leave this on your worksheet? Their failure had nothing to do with the lack of knowledge or skill. Their failure came about because Jesus wanted them to teach them at least two important lessons. 
Here's what he wanted them to learn and what you and I should learn. First of all, we can trust him. Second of all, without him, we can do nothing. They toiled all night. He wasn't with them. And Peter confessed it. We've taken nothing. Two lessons they're going to learn here. Number one, you can trust Jesus Christ. Even when the instruction doesn't make much sense, you can still trust him and so can I. And the second thing is without him, we can do nothing. A great truth to learn. Oftentimes our struggles and our failures come about because we fail to do God's work God's way. We fail to do God's work God's way. Today's church, the modern day church, has all of the machinery in place, and I hate this phrase, but they use it all the time. They've got the, they've got the machinery in place to do church. You ever, you ever hear that phrase? Do you read that much? How do we do church today? How do you do church? I, I do not like that phrase. But they've set up all the machinery and all the technology and all of the strategy and all of the planning and all of the, all, all of the, tech, uh, of the uh, marketing schemes to do church in 2023. Oftentimes what happens is we use worldly philosophies to try to accomplish the work of God. And it's just not going to fly in the same way that putting that Ark of the Covenant back on a new cart out of the Philistines camp didn't work for the transportation of that ark. You can't do God's work with worldly methods and expect him to put his stamp of approval on it. You just can't do it. A lot of times we try to do things God's work without doing it God's way, and we, we fail to do that. When we have opportunities to serve the Lord, remember that success or failure rests on where Jesus stands in that picture. When you have opportunity to do something in service to the Lord, where Jesus is at in your plan to accomplish that is going to determine whether or not that ministry or that attempt or that opportunity to serve, whether it succeeds or fails. John 15, 5, the end of that verse says, Jesus says, without me, you can do nothing. Without him, we can do nothing. But Philippians chapter 4 says, through him, we can do what? All things. Without him, Nothing. Through him, all things. The disciples are going to learn that lesson in this morning fishing trip that they're about to take. They toiled all night without him, and the Bible says they had taken nothing. So they went through that night of struggle. Let's talk next about a morning of surrender. A morning of surrender. And this is, this is really verses 4 and 5, because uh, that's where I like to... I, I really got my sermon title tonight, my Bible study title... From this, from verse number five, Jesus tells them to launch out into the deep, let down your nets for a draught. Simon answering said unto him, Master, we have toiled all the night and have taken nothing. And I'm so glad that there is not a period there in my Bible. There's a colon because the sentence isn't done because Peter's not done talking. And he says, nevertheless, at thy word, I will let down the net. And when they did, the Bible says they caught so many stinking fish that their net broke. Now, I, I've never fished like that. I'm always amazed, especially if you watch, you watch any videos of uh, the, the cast net guys over in Asia. We've got some guys. There's a guy that goes down in front of our house over on Cherokee Lake. He, he's down there, and he, he gets a cast net out there. He's casting out there to grab uh, bait fish. 
So he's got a net, and I would say it's probably, I don't know, I don't know how big those nets usually are. I would say it's somewhere between 6 and 10 feet maybe in diameter. And it's a pretty neat thing. He bunches it all up, and he just throws it out there like this, and it falls, and then he pulls it in, and he's hoping to catch some shiners or something there. Those guys over in Asia, I love watching those, those guys. They, they grab this thing, and they just they turn all the way around, then they just sling this thing. And the next thing you know, this net comes out. That net must be 15 or 20 feet in diameter. It's this huge net, and when they pull it in, it's full of fish like 15, 16 inches long. And they're working hard to pull in. They've got a bunch of them in there. And I think that's what was going on here. He throws this net out, and they're pulling in this, this mess of fish, and the Bible says the net starts to break, and they call their buddies and say, you've got to come help us with this. We're going to lose this catch. What made the difference between the night of struggle and now the morning of surrender? The difference was that last word, the surrender. They decided to obey the Lord. They were fishing at a completely different time, not one that they should be, should be fishing at, and yet obedience to Jesus, even when they didn't desire to do so. Obedience to Jesus made all the difference in the world. Let me give you three words that describe these verses. The first one is acknowledgement. The first word is acknowledgement. Do you know how Peter starts? Did you notice how he, when he responds to Jesus, launch out in the deep, let down thy nets for a draught. Do you notice how he responds to Jesus? The first word, master. He uses the word master. That word in the Greek language is only found in the book of Luke, but it's found six times. And it means commander or general or teacher. Now, in the other synoptic gospels, Jesus' title is often teacher or rabbi. Only in Luke, six different times, he's called master. What's interesting is the, the Hebrew word in the Old Testament, there's an equivalent found in 2 Kings chapter 25 and verse 19. The Hebrew equivalent of this word, it means the captain of the ship. Peter, in his own boat, acknowledges, I'm not the leader here. He's the captain of the ship. There's an acknowledgement that's made, even though he did not want to launch out into the deep, even though he didn't want to let down his nets as he was commanded. There was an acknowledgement here of who was really in control. It was Jesus. And those times when you don't feel like, you don't feel like doing what you're being led to do, acknowledge he's the captain of the ship. He's, he's, he's chief here. So do what he says to do. It's vital that we do that. So there's an acknowledgement. The second thing I want you to see is there's a confession. When I go deer hunting, I just hate coming home if I don't bring home deer. I just don't like it. One of the reasons is I come into the house and I'm like, did you get anything? That's what. Uh, no. And for the last several years, uh, no. <laughs> I do a lot more hunting than I do killing, you know. There's fishing and then there's catching. I do fishing and there's hunting and there's killing. I do fishing and hunting. That's what I do. There's a confession that this professional expert fisherman makes who's grown up on this lake, who knows this lake, who knows when, where, and how to fish this lake. And his confession is this. We didn't catch a thing. We did not catch a thing. That took, that took some humility for, of all people, Peter to confess Went and worked all night, and we've epically failed. 
but that's good for us. When we're confronted by Jesus to do something, it's not something we really feel like doing because we might be physically tired or we might be emotionally drained and we're led to do something in ministering to someone else or to to, to do some type of work and we don't feel like it, but it's good for us to confess, Lord, I just don't think I'm going to be able to do anything here. That's good for us to acknowledge that. Lord, we did all this and, and we have taken nothing Proverbs chapter number 22 and verse 4 says, By humility and the fear of the Lord are riches and honor and life. Fish were Peter's livelihood. If he's going to eat, if he's going to provide for his family, he's got to catch fish. By humility and fear of the Lord are riches and honor and life. In his, in his profession, he needed to catch fish. It was his livelihood, but he humbly confesses we caught nothing. First Peter chapter 5 and verse 5, that verse ends up saying, Yea, all of you be subject one to another and be clothed with humility, for God resisteth the proud and giveth grace to the humble. Be clothed with humility. It takes a confession. When you are prompted by Christ to do something, the Holy Spirit pushes a button and says, You need to go ahead and do this, and you don't feel like it. Humble yourself and just go with what God gives you to do. There's an acknowledgement. He's the master. There's a confession. I can't do anything, so I'm going to humble myself before God. And then the the turning point for this whole story, I think, is in verse 5. The last word I want to give you on this point is yieldedness. Yieldedness. Spell check in Microsoft Word tells me that is not a word, but I like it, so we're going to stick with it. G. Campbell Morgan tells us in verse number 5, he says, watch the movement in Peter's mind. When he starts speaking, do you get the idea he's about to buck up against the Lord and say, I'm not doing this. Master, we have toiled all night and have taken nothing. You're like, ooh, Peter, it's not going to be good. But Campbell Morgan says, "Watch watch the shift in his mind. Nevertheless, at thy word, he says. Sometimes God leads us to do things we won't want to do, and we need to come to the same place that Peter came to. I'm, tonight, we need to live in that word, nevertheless. A lot of times you don't feel like it. Your body aches or your body's tired. Your mind, you, your job has had your mind in a whirl all day or whatever. You just don't feel like it. Live in this nevertheless did you notice in verse number one why the people were pressing on the Lord? Did you? I've read this story a lot of times. You probably have too. But it jumped off the page to me today. Did you see why they're pressing on him in verse number one? It came to pass that as the people pressed upon him to hear the word of God, he had the word of God. Later on, Jesus is going to turn around to his disciples after a mass exodus from following Jesus. Jesus is going to turn to his disciples and he's going to say to them, Wilt thou also go away? And Peter's going to speak up and he's going to say this, Master, to whom shall we go? For thou hast the words of life. These people were pressing on Jesus because they knew he had the word of God. Peter says to him, when Jesus tells him to do something he doesn't want to do and really doesn't understand why he would even do it, at this time of the day, Peter says this, Nevertheless, at thy word, I'll let down the net. 
There is, there is this yieldedness to the word of God. And I, I left the note. You probably didn't even need the prompting because you're, you may not be familiar with this use of the nevertheless, but the most famous use of this word in the King James Bible anyway is when Jesus is in Gethsemane and he says, nevertheless, not my will but thine be done. That's exactly what's going on with Peter here. That's exactly what he's saying. Nevertheless, Jesus, not my will but thine be done. You want to go into the deep? I really don't want to, but let's do your will. There was a desire to do one thing, but a submission to do another. If I didn't put it on your worksheet, write down Daniel three seventeen and 18, because that's a similar declaration when those three Hebrews were standing before uh, when they were standing before Nebuchadnezzar and they were commanded to bow down. And I, I love their, well, I, they just put this stake in the ground, don't they? In verses 17 and 18, he's saying, now when the, when the maybe you didn't hear the music, guys, and I understand that. But when, when the music plays, what I want you to do is bow down, to that, bow down to that idol out there. And if you didn't hear it, I get that. But we're going to play it again. So when, it, when they play, and here was their reply, we're not going to do it. We heard the music first time. We, we hear it fine. We're not going to bow down. And this is their follow-up. Our God is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace. But if not, be it known unto thee, O king, we will not serve thy gods. You know what that is? That is a nevertheless statement. It's just what we're going to do. Was it convenient for them to bow down when they heard that music? Sure would have been. I mean, they were theoretically, they were young men at this time. They were physically able to do it. But nevertheless, they were not going. They were not going to do it. God will reward obedience to his word when we obey in spite of our own objections. God will reward obedience to his word when we obey in spite of our own rejections. Our heart, our heart will eventually follow. I, I want to share a verse with you that, that helps me a lot, and I hope it helps you. It's Proverbs chapter 16 and verse number 3. And it says, commit thy works unto the Lord, and thy thoughts shall be established. Commit thy works unto the Lord, and thy thoughts shall be established. The practical outworking of that is this. You do what's right even when you don't feel like doing it, and eventually God will change your mind about that particular activity. That's what that means. God will change your mind. You commit your works to the Lord. God, I'm going to go ahead and do this. Your thoughts will be established. Some people begin tithing or begin giving to missions grudgingly and of necessity. Even though we're commanded not to, some people are like, man, I know this is right to do, and I don't think I'm going to have enough money at the end of the month to pay my bills, but I'm going to go ahead and do it. You go ahead and do it. Commit your works to the Lord, and I'm, I promise you, if you will do what is right, God will establish your thoughts. He'll change your mind on it. I, I just don't know about doing this, or I don't know about doing that. If it's right, do it. Peter didn't feel like it. Now, you know how this story ends. Do you think in a few minutes he was pretty glad he let down his net? He didn't feel like going out there and dropping that net, but I'll tell you what, I bet when that thing started pulling, I bet when that net started pulling and jerking like this, I bet he got a second burst of energy after working all night and toiling all night and being fatigued. He was glad he did it. He yielded to God. 
keep that in mind. Uh, following God's direction, even when we don't feel like it for whatever reason. Let me ask you a couple of scenario questions. What would have happened in 1 Samuel 15 if Saul had just gone ahead and obeyed God when it came to that battle with the Amalekites? What would have happened in that chapter if he'd have obeyed God instead of doing what his heart told him to do? Do you remember that story? God said, you're going up against the Amalekites. I want everyone destroyed. Their cup of iniquity is full. I don't want the king. I don't want the king to survive. I don't want their animals to survive. It was it was a God ordained slaughter of the Amalekite people. But Saul kept the king alive, and he kept some sheep alive, and he he kept some oxen alive. And Samuel came in, and he said to him, he said, "What's all this stuff that I'm hearing?" And he said, "Well, I just well the people the people did this. They wanted to save some for the Lord to make an offering." Samuel said, that's not what God said at all. And Samuel got a sword, and the Bible says he cut up that king into pieces. That's a, it's a bloody, gory sight. But he was demonstrating there, Saul, you don't get to choose what you do and don't do, whether you feel like it or not, whether you understand the command or not. You just do what God gives you to do. But what, had hap- what would have happened instead of Saul being rejected as king, what would have happened if Saul would have just gone with what God gave him to do? What would have happened in 2 Samuel chapter number 11 or 12 in there? What would have happened if David hadn't followed his desperately wicked heart when he saw Bathsheba? What if he'd have turned away? You want an interesting study? Look at the rest of David's life post-Bathsheba. Just look at the rest of his life. God was not kidding when he said, the sword's not going to leave your house, David. It was one mess after another. But what would have happened if, if even though his heart was telling him to do one thing, his, you know, Jeremiah 17, 9 says that our heart is deceitful and desperately wicked. What would have happened had, had David not listened to his desperately wicked, deceitful heart, and when he saw Bathsheba, instead of choosing to look, he'd have turned away and gone about his business. Can you imagine what the rest of 2 Samuel would have read like in, instead of murder and betrayer, betrayal and incestuous rape, failure in battle? Can you imagine what the rest of 2 Samuel would look like if he had just done what God gave him to do? The, the key here, church, is yieldedness. Nevertheless, Lord, I don't feel like it. We've been working all day. We worked all night, rather. We didn't catch a thing. They're not biting Here's the deal, Lord. They're not biting. Nevertheless, at thy word, I will let down the net. God gives us areas in our life where he requires obedience. I just listed a few of them. Our attitude toward Christ's rule over our life. The command to study and meditate in scripture. The command to submit to one another and serve one another in love. Our function and role in the home. Our God-given, the God-given authority in our lives. The stewardship of our lives. All of those areas call for our surrender or our yieldedness to God. You want the blessings of God? Yield to the will of God. Yield to the word of God. So there's a night of struggle. There's a morning of surrender. And then the third thing is this, a lifetime of satisfaction. So in verse 4, the command, launch out into the deep. Verse 5, a little bit of an objection, but then a yieldedness. Nevertheless, 
at thy word I will let down the net. And verse 6, and when they had done this, they enclosed a great multitude of fishes and their net break. Um, A lifetime of satisfaction. It just doesn't stop there, though. And they beckoned unto their partners, which were in the other ship, that they should come and help them. And they came and filled both ships so that they began to sink. This is just crazy. When Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he was astonished, and all that were with him at the drought of fishes that they had taken. And so was also James and John, the sons of Zebedee, which were were partners with Simon. And Jesus said unto Simon, Fear not, from henceforth thou shalt catch men. Because of their obedience, we're talking about a lifetime of satisfaction. Because of their obedience, they witnessed an immediate reward of fish. They did this, and immediately they went out there and dropped them into the deep. And this this is my belief. I think they dropped that net one time, and that was the catch that we just read about. I don't, you know, I go into these places, and you cast over here, and there's nothing, so you cast over here, and there's nothing. About fourth or fifth cast, you might get a nibble or a hit. I think they put that net down one time, and all of a sudden, they're pulling in this thing, and their net's starting to break, and they call for all of this help. It's absolutely, it's absolutely amazing. It was an immediate reward of their obedience, can I read for you a short paragraph by, by Reverend J.C. Ryle? He's got his books, his, his collection, The Expository Thoughts on the Gospels, and this is what he says about this great catch. We are meant to learn the blessing of ready, unhesitating obedience to every plain command of Christ. That's our lesson here. Immediately obey a plain command, God blesses it. The path of duty may sometimes be hard and disagreeable, the wisdom, of course, of the course that we propose to follow may not be apparent to the world, but none of these things move us. We are not to confer with flesh and blood. We are to go straight forward when Jesus says go and do a thing boldly, unflinchingly, and decidedly when Jesus says do it. Go out into the deep, drop down your nets. Peter said, we didn't do very well last night, but nevertheless at thy word. Jesus said, go, he went. Jesus said, do this, and he did it. In addition to this great catch of fish that they get here, these fishermen are driven to their knees before Christ because all of a sudden they've got a brand new picture of the person and the power of Jesus Christ. Nevertheless, I'll let down my nets. They submitted to him, and then he gives them this, he gives them this great catch, but then he says to them, this is really nothing. From here on out, this is how we're going to catch men. You're going to catch men. And he told them what they were going to be doing for the rest of their lives. And these men that are mentioned here, they did it for the rest of their lives. A lifetime of satisfaction. This is the lesson for us to learn today. This is on your worksheet. The secret to perpetual and deep satisfaction as a child of God is found in the absolute surrender of the will or to the will, rather, of the Lord in every area of life. Absolute surrender to the will of the Lord in every area of life. What did Jesus say in John chapter 14? He said in John 14, verse 15, If you love me, keep my commandments. Drop down to verse number 21 in the same chapter. He that hath my commandments and keepeth them, he it is that loveth me. It's surrendering to the will of God. 
And for that, they were rewarded with a lifetime of satisfaction. Now, was it an easy life? Not at all. But Jesus said, I'll make you fishers of men. And he did. That's what they did. We hold anything back from his lordship. We hold anything back from his control. Or or, or, I'm not going to give you that. I'm not going to give you this part of my life or that part of my heart. We hold anything back. We cannot expect him to bless. Put another way, it's like this. Disobedience acts as a dam on the river of God's blessing on us. Disobedience just cuts off that supply. God wants to bless us. Rivers of water shall flow out of him. Remember that? He wants to bless us. Disobedience constructs a dam. And it just stops us. The secret to seeing all of your tomorrows marked by this kind of satisfaction is obedience. It's living every day in surrender to Christ. Lord, we have, we have toiled, we have worked to the point of fatigue all night and have taken nothing. Nevertheless, at thy word, I will let down the net. Nevertheless, at thy word. Church, you and I ought to live in that word. There are going to be times when God prompts you to do something, and man, you are so excited about it, you're ready to do it. This is going to be great. And then there are those times like this when you are physically exhausted, you're emotionally drained, you might be mentally frustrated, you might be worried about the finances. I think that was weighing on, maybe on Peter's mind here. I don't know. God's going to prompt you to do something, and you're not going to be all that gung-ho about it. That's when the nevertheless living comes into play. At your word, God, at your prompting, that's what I'll do. Living in the nevertheless. Having said all of that, seeing this great catch of fish, hearing Jesus tell them, from here on out, thou shalt catch men. I put a quote by uh, H.A. Ironside on the end of your worksheet. Ironside points out that Peter's obedience to the Lord was only partial. If we're not careful, we'll miss this. His obedience to the Lord in this was only partial, and as a result of that, he ends up in a mess, doesn't he? Because his boat, his net's breaking, and the boats are about to sink. That was avoidable. The net breaking and the boats sinking, this could have been avoidable. There was only partial obedience here. Can can I show you how? Look in verse number four at the command of Christ. What is the command? This is where words are important in your Bible. What is the command of Christ in verse number four? Launch out into the deep and let down what? Your nets, plural. What is Peter's response in verse number five? I'll put a net down. It's singular in verse number five, isn't it? And when it starts talking about the great catch that they're doing, he says in verse number 5 at the end, I will let down the net. And in verse number 6, in case you're thinking, well, maybe he just said that, but he put down the nets. Mm -mm. In verse number 6, the narrative says that that net broke. This was partial obedience. Jesus said, what I'm going to give you requires nets. Peter said, I'll... I'll put down a net. I'll launch out in the deep, and I'll put down a net. Now, here's the thing. Jesus guaranteed them. Boy, I wish I had this. Jesus guaranteed them they were going to catch. 
I don't have a motor on, on my little kayak, but I do have a I do have an oar. And when I when I row that kayak, and right now I'm kayaking against the currents because they're raising Cherokee Lake. So to get out to the main channel, I'm kayaking against the current. I am never so glad as to turn that thing around and come back to my house because, boy, that current's behind me now, and I'm, like, cooking. But when I go out there, if it would be so much better if somebody would tell me, Mark, look, if you, if you go out there in that deep water in the main channel of Cherokee Lake, if you'll get out there, I guarantee you you're going to catch fish like crazy. It would make going out there all the more worth it. But when I row out there, I need a nap. By the time I get to our little cove, by the time I get to the end of our cove, I'm ready for a nap. You know, you're just fighting against that current. But if somebody told me, if you go out there, you'll catch fish, boy, I'd jump on that. Jesus, the omniscient creator God, said, you let down your nets out there in the deep and you're going to catch fish. Now, Jesus told him to let down nets for a reason because Jesus knew exactly how many fish they were going to catch when they did that. And I can imagine Jesus looking at Peter when Peter dropped that one net over the side. I can imagine Jesus not saying this. It's not going to go good with you, buddy. You should have listened. Partial obedience. Launch out in the deep and let down thy nets. Nevertheless, at thy word, I will let down a net. Ironside again says this. Maybe if they had let down the nets, that which was used would not have been broken so easily. One was not sufficient to hold the great draught of fishes rushing into it. And when they realized that they would not be able to handle this great catch themselves, then beckoned they unto their partners who were in another ship. I like the way he puts that. Those fish were rushing into that net. You know why? Because they were under the command of the captain. They were right where they were supposed to be doing what they were supposed to do. If Jesus tells you to let down nets, don't partially obey. Jump in with both feet. Drop those nets. Drop plural. There are four other passages of Scripture that reinforce this. Let me quickly share those with you. We won't turn to them. 2 Kings chapter 4, verses 1 through 7. A widow comes to Elisha. She said, I've got all these debts to pay. If I don't pay them, they're going to take my two sons and throw them in jail. He said, what do you have in your house? She said, I've just got this little vessel of oil. Go borrow as many pots as you can and then fill those pots up with the oil that you have. Do you remember that story? It's a wonderful story. She starts dumping oil in these vessels. They're bringing in Tupperware dishes and all kinds of vessels from all their neighbors. She's gathering in all of these things. And that little pot of oil that she has, she just keeps pouring and pouring and pouring in every one of these vessels. I don't know how many there were, 30, 40, 50. She fills every one of these things up. And when she comes to the very last one, the very last one she had, she dumps her oil and it's gone. And the Bible says this, when they had filled all the vessels they had, the oil stayed. If she'd have had 15 or 20 or 30 more vessels, I think she'd have filled them. You see what I'm saying? It says when all the vessels she had were filled, the oil stopped. There's another story in the same book, 2 Kings 13, verses 18 and 19. Elijah's talking to King Joash. Joash has been battling the Syrians. And he tells Joash, "Take take these arrows. And he takes these arrows and he says, strike the ground and... Joash doesn't know what's going on. He takes those arrows and he whacks the ground three times. And he looks at Elisha like, what are we doing? And Elisha says, I wish you'd have hit the ground five or six times. If you'd have hit the ground five or six times, you would have overthrown the Syrians and it would never be a problem to Israel again. But you only hit it three times. That means you're going to beat the Syrian army only three times. And they continued to be a problem for him. 
if you'd have just kept going, you'd have wiped them out. You'd have wiped that enemy out. In Matthew, uh, Malachi chapter 3 and verse 10, that's the call to bring all the tithes into the storehouse. Remember that? You remember the promise at the end of that? Jesus or God says in the Old Testament, if you'll do this, see if I won't open the windows of heaven. You remember the end of the verse? I will pour you out a blessing. You won't have room enough to receive it. John chapter 21. It's not this story that we're reading about Luke 5. It's a completely different thing. It takes place after the resurrection. John chapter 21. It's the second time they're out there fishing. Jesus hollers to to them from the shore. He says, you got any fish? And they said, no. He says, put them on the other side of the net. They drop down the other side of the net. And now, same thing happens as in Luke 5, except in that one, they tell us, in that drop, he got 153 fish in one casting of the net. Boat starts sinking again. Those four passages of Scripture combined with this Luke chapter 5 tells me this. Here's a truth to learn. God often wants to bless us more than our faith allows. If you and I would just learn the value of living in nevertheless, I don't always feel like doing it, God, But nevertheless, at thy word, I will let down these nets. The key is doing what Peter did. You and I have God's word. We have his Holy Spirit. Live in that that attitude. Live in the nevertheless. I don't always feel like doing it. I'm telling you as your pastor, there are times that I just, I'm ready to take a break. I'm ready for the night off. And then the Holy Spirit will open a door or some person will say a word. Uh, I'll, give you, I'll give you an example. Can I confess this to you today? In fact, write these two names because I, I forgot to give them to you and they just popped back in my head. Write these two names on your prayer list because I told these people we'd pray for them today. Josh and Emma. Josh and Emma. I took yesterday. Uh, I wanted to be at the bio meeting yesterday. I took the whole day down there. I don't do that very often and just sit under teaching and training, but I thought, I'm taking that whole day, and I did. I got there a little uh, after 9, and I stayed till 5 o'clock last night. They even fed me over by, it was great. Um, So today, there was a little bit to do, being out of the office all day yesterday. It was a little bit for me to do. And uh, not long before before lunch, uh, we get a call at the church, one of these people needing help. And, man, he's got a story a mile and a half long and a sob story like I couldn't believe. And I think it was God just... Reminding me about what I taught at bio yesterday, saying, let's just see if it's true. And um, my day was interrupted for the better part of an hour. On a day, I would really didn't have an hour to give. This is Wednesday. I have a deadline at church. If it's not a church night, I can stay longer. But this couple needed help. Um, they're, uh, they were down on their luck, and they're stranded for a little bit. And we were able, we, as a church, we put them up for a night. Um, Honestly, when they called, Sheila, pa- Sheila usually handles those things, but this was a unique call, so she passed, she's passed around some help with this guy. Um, when, when he called, and I realized I'm about to leave the office. I'm going to have to leave the office to deal with this. So I grabbed Daniel, too. I figured if there's one of us going to be short on a work day, there's going to be two of us. Uh, so I said, Daniel, we need to take a ride. But it, it was just it was not a convenient time. And the whole time I'm talking to him, realizing I'm going to have to leave the office to deal with this situation, it's going to cost me on a day when I really don't have it. I wish it would have happened tomorrow. Tomorrow would have been fine. But it happened today. 
And it was for me this morning. Get this. this is how, thank you, God. This is how funny God can be while I'm working on a, a Bible study entitled Living in the Nevertheless. I had to practice what I was getting ready to teach to you tonight. I don't really feel like doing this right now, Lord. Nevertheless, at thy word. In church, I want to tell you, um, being able to talk to those folks and realizing the desperate situation they were in and how appreciative they were of the help we could give this strange couple we're probably never going to see again. Um, God just reminds us, if if you'll just cooperate with me, even if you don't understand it, church, when you think you don't have the time, when you, don't, you think you don't have the resources, when God prompts you to do something, nevertheless, don't do it with a bad attitude. I, I said at the beginning of this, I don't think Peter had a bad attitude. Nevertheless, at thy word. There's the key. It's not, it's not any other reason. It's nothing else we're surrendering to. It's at his word. It's at his leadership. Nevertheless, live in that nevertheless attitude. When you don't feel like it. Now, when you feel like it, you don't need the nevertheless, do you? When you're hyped up and there's a lot of money or there's a lot of time, you don't need, you don't need the nevertheless. But it's when it's going to be a, a, a check. Brother Gary, that used to be a youth pastor here, he used to say all the time, and I've, I've latched onto that. Gary would say, a lot of times it's inconvenient to serve others. Had he not said that, I don't think it would have proved so true in my life. But he ruined my life with that thing. Because most of the time when opportunities to serve come up, it's not convenient. That's that's a pretty good statement. Many times when we have opportunity to serve, it's not going to be convenient. So pull out your nevertheless and say, at thy word, God, I'm going to do this. And that's that's good teaching for you and for me. Father, thank you for Peter's heart. Thank you for the nevertheless moments that show up in us because they reinforce our faith in you and our trust. And, Lord, we'll look back and we'll say, well, I trusted God here and he showed up. I trusted God here and and, and you supplied for us. And, Lord, I pray that you would help us, regardless of how we feel and regardless of what our heart may be saying, help us to be determined that when those moments come up and we're told to launch out into the deep and it doesn't make sense to us, help us to go ahead and put down the net and then stand back and watch you do your thing. You're such a good God. You're so faithful, and you're trustworthy. Help us to learn and remember that lesson, we pray in your name. Amen. God bless you, church.